Hello, and welcome to the Wind Power Podcast. We're recording this episode from the Wind Energy Hamburg Conference, where Wind Power Monthly is the official podcast partner. I'm Ian Griggs, Deputy Editor of Wind Power Monthly, and I'm lucky to be joined by Ben Backwell, who is the Chief Executive of the Global Wind Energy Council, or GWEC, as it's often called. Welcome, Ben. Morning, Ian. So, Ben, what sessions have you seen this week, and have any particularly struck you in terms of their content? Well, first of all, so GWEC has been running the Global Markets Theatre throughout the whole week. So it's, it's basically a stage with a whole series of events and panels and discussions we've organised with our partners and, and, and sponsors. Um, the first day was particularly interesting because we have been working with the World Bank Group and ESMAP um, and we've brought a very large delegation of officials from emerging markets, countries that are looking to do offshore wind, part of a wider study tour of offshore wind facilities around Europe and they've spent the whole of uh, Tuesday engaging with the industry and having meetings and taking part in panels and sessions so that was a really really good day and really interesting to get the kind of feedback and the news from the ground in all these fascinating places of what's going on that sounds like a coup getting people together like this indeed um and i'll tell you what's nice is that we're back in the new you know, in the real world because um, it's four years since we've been in hamburg physically at this event so it's just really great to get that face to face and i mean as well as the world bank esmap group we've also had a whole lot of other delegations visiting from other countries so, i mean we hosted a whole big delegation from California for instance um, yeah. uh, we've had people from Australia we've had people from lots of you know African countries Latin American countries I mean we've had a big Japanese delegation so all these people many of these people I haven't seen them for, for, literally for years so They're really living up to your name the global wind energy council we are we are I hope and um, like I said now, now that we can see each other a bit more you know it makes everything a lot easier and you get more nuance as well I mean we've yes. pretty much you know like everyone did a lot of things for two years on Zoom. Yes, and, um, it's the Zoom years, we shall call them. Yeah, rather rather flat experience in many ways, although very productive, I guess, for a lot of people as well. Yeah. So have any conference speakers stood out for you this week? Yeah, we, um, we had a CEO panel on uh, offshore wind, driving growth in offshore wind, and that was a really good one. I mean, we had uh, Matthias uh, Belsenwein, um, who's Senior Vice President for Offshore Wind at BP, um, but he's someone who's been in the wind industry for a long, long time in other roles. So that was really good. And then we had Mary Queenie, who's the CEO of Mainstream, and you, you will know well. He's a really good speaker and has got a lot of experience from around the world and you know, very nuanced and incisive. Um, and I also really enjoyed um, Jonathan Cole, yes. who's the CEO of Corio. He was, again, well-known in the industry, in other roles, took part in the UK Industry Council and all these kind of institutions, and he's, he's really sharp. I, I was lucky enough to see that panel, actually, uh, featuring Mary and uh, Jonathan, and they were great. So what would you say are the hot topics that wind industry professionals are talking about this week, um, particularly for those who may not have been able to get to Hamburg? I mean, I think there's two things that really stand out. I mean, the first thing is, you know, how does the energy crisis and the whole crisis in energy security and affordability impact our industry? And you know, how do we respond to that? And are we responding in the right way? Right? So that's, I think, really been the big theme. I mean, at the press conference that I took part in on Tuesday morning, with my European colleagues, that was really the big theme. And we released this Hamburg declaration from the industry about responding to the energy crisis. Yes. We, GWEC has been pushing um, a, a five 
point plan to policymakers since July that came about as a big industry consultation and is, is kind of the centre of our policy work around responding to the crisis. So how we respond and are we responding in the right way, I think is, is really the big theme and we can dig into that maybe a little bit more. The other theme is the supply chain, particularly the European supply chain. It's really about a kind of quite paradoxical situation where on the one hand we need to have a really accelerated scaling up of wind power um, and that's there in the IEA scenario in the IRENA scenario in the European policymakers scenarios and pretty much every country in the world has got wider and, and, and bigger ambitions now around wind power but then on the other hand many of the companies in, in the supply chain are really suffering and seem to find it hard to, to make money and have seen their margins really challenged which are by manufacturers uh, or at least that's what we're reporting on in wind power monthly I mean they seem to be having a hard time of that you know, it's a, it's a really um, perverse situation because on the one hand, the supply chain needs to scale up to actually, according to the IEA net zero by 2050 scenario, they expect uh, the wind energy industry to be installing 390 gigawatts by the end of this decade per year. Right? And at the moment, we're something just under 100 gigawatts, right? So it's, it's almost four times higher annual installations. That's going to require a massive scaling up of the um, industry, the workforce, the facilities, um, also all the industries that um, supply to the wind industry as yes. well, right? Yes. And how are we going to do that if companies can't make money even with all this ambition? It's a paradox, isn't it? Because there is these ambitious targets and you think the goal is wide open for them to make a profit and do well. And, and yet they're not. They, they can hardly survive. It's a tricky situation. But I'm glad you mentioned the, um, the supply chain. I was in a panel session yesterday for organisations which represent offshore wind across Europe and the US. And the panellists uh, in that session said three of the key roadblocks to meeting ambitious deployment targets were a qualified workforce, as in there's not enough people, financial support for the industry, and infrastructure, which is fit for the future. And really, they were talking about that in the context of grids. In your opinion, which of these three is the most pressing and why? They're all really important, but let's maybe go back to this question around why isn't the supply chain more healthy in this situation? Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, the first thing is permitting and speed of deployment. You know, it's still extremely difficult to build yes. in many countries around the world, especially in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, because planning is just too bureaucratic and takes too long and is overcomplicated. Um, and that really needs to change if we're serious about meeting uh, targets. Um, and the second thing is that capacity has been drip-fed into the market. So it's been given you know, little doses through auctions, some of which work very well, some of which don't work so well. And that's often led to a kind of race to the bottom in terms of the pricing. It's a point that Jonathan made and, and there's really challenged profitability because you're kind of squeezing every last drop out of the industry. Um, and then I, I, I think the, the third thing is that we're facing now all these inflationary pressures. So the price of steel is, has gone up massively, the price of uh, aluminium, of copper, rare earth metals, and all these things the wind industry uses. And yet often we've been locked into long-term, quite you know, very low price uh, contracts and, 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 and are not able to respond to those, those pressures. So something needs to change for the industry in Europe, in my opinion. And I don't think the measures that are being taken while... Many of them are helpful. They don't go far enough yet. So that's interesting. So what about the Repower EU package? I mean, that's supposed to open up permitting and make this a much more straightforward process than it's been previously. Do you think that doesn't go far enough? 
I think a lot of the, the measures in the Repower EU package are, are extremely helpful and we're really pleased that the ambition is there and that people are recognising the permitting challenge and, and where we need to go and that we need to go faster to install wind power. So that's really good. And some of the measures that are being taken around permitting to accelerate things are, are very helpful. I mean, I personally think more is needed. Mm-hmm. And I think one interesting thing to look at is what's happening in the United States. Um, and contrast that a little bit with what is happening to industry in Europe. I mean, in the United States, you know, for people listening, background, they've just passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Which is a big piece of legislation, yeah. And it's this massive, basically, support, um, subsidy through tax credits for a whole number of industries, including wind. You know, just for onshore wind in the US, it's probably added a kind of another 80 gigawatts into the pipeline um, it's extended the PTC the production tax credit and enhanced it subsidy support for a number of other industries so for green steel for making sustainable uh, cement there's a hydrogen there's a green hydrogen PTC and you can stack these on top of each other so get kind of progressive benefits from these things and single I mean really in, in one foul swoop they've set the basis now for a steady, sustained expansion of the wind industry and decarbonisation of hard-to-abate sectors just like that. And it's, a, it's an enormous package. It's $390 billion in total. Just for, uh, for renewables, we think it's something like $270 billion. And that is a direct benefit to companies. In Europe, we don't have that. We have people you know, increasing the ambition and trying to get more volumes, but we're not taking any big steps to support industry and make sure that the transition is profitable and that people can invest for, you know, for the future to get up to this huge scaling up that we're going to need. So the US has gone from really playing catch up to being almost kind of world leaders on a policy level in terms of supporting their industry. Is that a fair summary? I think it is, but it's also, you've got to remember, I mean, they've had the PTC, you know, and it's expired, they've renewed it, it's expired. This has been going on for 20 years and it has been pretty successful. Yes. And if you look globally, what's happened um, and who's doing what? Um, you know, last year, something like 94 gigawatts installed globally. Something like 64% of that was in China and the US. So two countries were responsible for 64% of all the installations. We need to be doing the same all over the world. Can't be just China and the US and then everybody else going too slowly and not, not meeting their targets. You know, everybody has to be doing this. And to do that, you need investment into industry and into supply chain. You don't just need that investment, though, do you? You need the actual people to be able to do these jobs. The panellists uh, representing Germany were saying, we've got 20,000 people in the supply chain who deliver uh, some of our tokens. We need 50,000, she said. And I'm sure that is repeated across Europe. How are we going to get this workforce? It's an interesting point. We actually did a session with the Global Wind Organization, which is our sister organization, which does health and safety training around the world. The report that we launched with them yesterday... The research states that um, we'll need something like 500,000 GWO trained technicians by the end of 2026. And how many do we have? How many are projected? Well, at the moment, it's, um, I mean, this is just narrowly for technicians, right? Yeah, so this yeah. isn't the whole, the whole industry. Sure. So um, I think it's a couple of hundred thousand at the moment. There's a lot of people who need to be you know, requalified or retrained over this five year period. So there's a huge shortfall, really, in, in terms of the skilled workforce that we actually need yeah there is and as you know in europe that's the case for many other industries as well so we yes. co- we're competing for labor with with everyone else it's not just us um and and so another subject which i think you know we should really pay attention to is the whole subject of how do we make the wind industry attractive how do we make it so that our daughters and our sons want to come into the wind industry and see it as something really attractive a good place to work and, and a lot of that has got to do with 
how we project ourselves, how we interact with communities. It's also about making sure that we have gender diversity and equity in our industry, because that's absolutely key for young people to, to want to be part of it. We've got a long, long way to go. Just going to ask you about that. Do you think the, the wind industry is friendly towards women and girls? I'd say no, we haven't done enough and it's not um, as attractive as it should be. Mm. And, it, and if you're a young woman coming into the industry and all you see around you is, is basically men in suits, then that obviously has a kind of effect of, of putting people off and repelling people. So one of the things that we've tried to do at GWEC is uh, when I first became CEO, uh, myself and Joyce Lee, who's our head of policy, we created this uh, Women in Wind uh, leadership initiative. And, mm. and what we do is we take in um, an intake of, of women from emerging markets countries and we pair them with very senior women in the wind industry some of them director level ceo level and mentorship i mean mary queen you mentioned earlier she was a mentor in women and wind um, uh, i think two years ago we have those, that kind of level of people yes so we have 22 women from this year's intake that we've brought to hamburg and have been touring wind facilities meeting with you know senior executives and it's such a, um, a powerful thing for them to be visible talk to the senior people see the possibilities kind of in the higher echelons of of the industry um, and we we really want to expand that program and make it into a you know a, a truly global program that people can use to to kind of catapult themselves in some higher positions we um, were in egypt because it's cop 27 coming up right we went down to open a fantastic new wind farm on the red sea coast this was back in march um with uh, lakela power uh, it's one of our companies and it's just this amazing site it's, it's kind of on the Red Sea coast it's really windy and there's a an old kind of oil and gas town that's kind of near there and um, they've been recruiting from that town into the wind industry fast tracking them on apprenticeships and, and some of those people in the town are now running the wind farm and operating the wind farm and moving up the company and moving into different you know, areas in the, in the wind section. So one of the women who's running the wind farm now is a young woman from that community. And she's in the Women and Wind program. She's here in um, Hulud, uh, she's called, and she's, she's here in, the, in Hamburg um, representing Egypt. We have women from Colombia, Brazil, Chile, Argentina, India, some African countries. We have, like, it's a really global group of people and they're so energetic. And that's kind of what we want the face of the industry to be. Yes, and you want these um, women to tell their stories to their peers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can be storytellers for the industry. They can help promote other um, women within their companies and their networks. We're, we're forming a pretty powerful alumni network. Mm. Now, it takes a few years to build, mm. um, but we're now in year three of the program. And you're starting to see, I mean, we get people now approaching us and our companies for jobs because they know someone who's gone through Women and Wind. Yeah. Um, and it, it's starting to get really, you know, really powerful and people are noticing it. To go back to the conference, um, what would you say are the main takeaways for wind industry professionals from the conference? The main takeaway is that we're in a really hopeful place as an industry because you know, the eyes of the world are on us like never before and the expectation on the wind industry is, is, is like never before as well and the role that we have to play within the whole energy transition is, is just such a central role and that's recognised now in all the scenarios and with the energy crisis and the invasion of Ukraine that's just come to the forefront even, even more It's really sharpened minds hasn't it in terms of policy makers you know, the slow moving crisis of climate change was always there and potentially deadly for us all it's an existential crisis but it wasn't necessarily in people's face was it but the Ukraine is right in your face and you can feel the effect. Yeah, and I think also the effects of this kind of disorderly or, or incomplete energy transition as well because you've yes. got to remember even before Ukraine this crisis was starting mm. and then prices were going up you know, steadily in, in 2021 before before it happened and um, also in Asia I mean there was massive increase in coal prices there's been a 
big spike in power prices in Asia even before um, invasion of Ukraine happened. Um, and this, is, for me, is a, is a consequence of the fact that we haven't completed the energy transition or been consistent enough or, or gone fast enough. And we're still hostage in many ways uh, to volatile fossil fuels. It's, it's really clear. Even to the layperson, you can see that, can't you? So I think, I think that's, the, the, yeah, that's the first main takeaway. And the second main takeaway is that we, we need to do a lot as an industry to get ready for, 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 for fulfilling this place. Um, and we need policymakers really to take this stuff seriously and not just expect it to happen on, it, on its own. So looking a little further ahead, as we enter the final quarter of 2022, how would you describe the wind industry's fortunes as a whole so far this year? Well, look, I think it depends where you sit within the industry and, and within the, the whole value chain. Um, I think that the supply chain, you know, as we said, is really having a tough time. And we have those companies on our board and my, you know, my chairman represents one of the big OEMs. So I, you know, I know day to day how they're perceiving this. There's a, a fair amount of scepticism about what's happened so far and, and you know, a, a real strong feeling that more needs to be done. And um, on, I think, Monday, um, Siemens Gamesa uh, produced a white paper uh, that was yeah, very insightful. Yes, we reported on that. Um, and I, I spoke to their CEO on Monday, Joachim uh, Eichholt. His view really was that the wind industry needs to be treated as a strategic industry. Yes. Right, which it is. Because energy is strategic. Indeed. And, and look at everything that's happened. Um, you know, we, we can't afford to, to mess around and delay and, and let, you know, just trust to, to, to faith in these things. So governments need to really put the wind industry at the centre of things, the centre of the energy question and, and, you know, see what's needed uh, for industry and, and long-term growth and, and everything around it that we talked about, workforce and, and supply and, and, and get the right policy and support uh, so that the companies who've got fantastic technology and have you know, worked so hard to get the, you know, the cost of wind power down to the point that we're you know, such a competitive industry. Yeah. yeah, and this great technology that we've got, you know, we need to really reap the benefits of that and, and have a, you know, a large expanding industry. That was quite a moment from Siemens Gamesa, wasn't it? I don't think I've seen a turbine manufacturer come out and make that sort of demand to governments uh, before to really support it. I mean, it's definitely an unprecedented mm. situation. Mm. And, and again, I mean, it's to do with this paradox between the kind of expectation and the need and, and where we're actually, you know, and what we're actually able to do right now to, to deploy. Yeah. And that's, that's where the crux of things are. And like you said, it's not tomorrow anymore. It's not next year. It's, it's, kind of, it's now. Yeah. And it's the winter is looming. Staying on the turbine manufacturers, they've had a terrible time of it this year. We've reported on all their financial results. There's, there are few who've got anything to smile about. Do you think next year we'll see a reversal in their fortunes or do you think difficult times are set to continue? I mean, I'm hopeful that some of these policy challenges will be resolved. You know, there's definitely the minds have been focused. It's not like people are not aware of the challenges anymore. Um, and we, as GWEC, have been shouting pretty loudly about it for the last couple of years and consistently making these points. The turbine manufacturers and their CEOs have been making these points privately, uh, very forcefully yes. uh, with policymakers. Um, and I'm, I'm confident that we can fix things um, and uh, go to a, a better framework and, and regime for, for wind power. And then the demand is there. We've got a, you know, a fantastic opportunity um, and challenge ahead of us. And I hope and expect that by 24, 25, 26, you'll see a real kicking in, in of that higher level of ambition. I mean, the targets now, you look at something like the German Easter package, it's a doubling of auctioning per year. And, and that 
you know, if, if they're serious about it, which they are, they need to resolve these things. We'll start to see a bigger industry with bigger investment. They've just got to hang in there a little while longer, these turbine manufacturers, just kind of cling on a little while longer. And then there's sunnier times ahead. There will be sunnier times ahead because there's no obvious way to solve the energy crisis or the climate crisis without a very, very big role for wind power. So somebody needs to resolve this. Um, You know, it's not, you know, it's hanging on in there, but it's also making sure that we use our voice collectively to get the changes that we need um, and to get a better level of support. And and like I said, I, I, I think no options should be off the table. Um, Government should be looking at things like the Inflation Reduction Act in the US and other areas and, and think, well, okay, well, what, what else can we do that we're not already doing that can directly help uh, the industry? Would you see, uh, that's interesting that you say that, we say no option should be off the table. So the onshore wind, there has been previously a degree of public opposition, the sense of, oh, well, you know, I like it in principle, but I don't like it right next to me. Is this the time to say, well, actually, there's no choice now. You, you've got to have it in your in your area and the planning rules are going to allow that because it's actually a strategic necessity well it's it's built i mean uh, yeah we don't want to impose anything on anyone but but it's about building understanding um and you know having a sensible view on, on what's necessary i mean infrastructure is necessary and infrastructure is needed if we want to have our computers and our laptops tvs and everything else that yes. we have right and that infrastructure for power um needs to be come from somewhere and it's is that going to be a, um, a fossil fuel plant that's going to continue spewing carbon into the atmosphere is it going to be a nuclear plant where there's an even higher level of of public opposition where are we going to get our energy from so i think that conversation needs to happen and then the other thing is how does public opposition manifest itself i mean we know that wind power is extremely popular and and the polls that we do every year as an industry in fact we've been getting more popular over over the course of a decade actually i was just going to say because as being a little bit negative and and talking about kind of previous public opinion towards onshore wind but actually you're right that public opinion polling consistently shows public opinion is starting to galvanize towards uh, renewables and, and wind power i mean how should the wind industry capitalize on what appears to be currently a peak in public support for wind yeah, I, I do think you have a point from what you said. I mean, there needs to be a stronger government, more proactive position on all this. And it's on two levels. First of all, it's politicians not saying stupid things yes. um, and just going along with stupid things just because they think there's some kind of short-term advantage in, in doing so and, and not standing up and combating fake news and, and misconception. You know, politicians need to be leaders and not just kind of let this kind of disinformation kind of fly. You know, there are going to be people who don't like wind turbines, but... Are they the majority? And in many cases, what we see is that one or two people can stop a project, sometimes with government legal aid, and I won't name any countries in particular, um, where literally a couple of people can get paid through legal aid to, to stop a wind project for years and years, even when the rest of the community supports it. Now, that can't be right. That's interesting. Because the German Wind Energy Association told me in an earlier episode of this podcast that actually there is a great silent majority in Germany which favours wind, but a very vocal minority which opposes it. I think that's true in many cases. We've yeah. seen that all around the world, even in places where the wind industry has been very successful, like Denmark. You know, there's a group of people who go around saying things you know, much of which is not true. I've seen the same people year after year raising these kind of fake news um, ideas. Um, Now, can we allow the whole of society to be held back by this while we continue to overheat our planet? Mm -hmm. I don't think we can. So we need to find the right balance between, you know, consultation and democracy 
um, but also making sure that the majority who do have a sensible position can still go on and build um, and improve uh, society. Finally, you talked a little bit about the US in very favourable terms in terms of the policy backdrop uh, there, but are there any other countries around the world which you think have a, a particularly good attitude to wind in terms of their policy platforms? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's controversial. You know, Ch- you know, China has got an incredible track record in building. Right? And I'm not going to say everything's perfect about China. But for wind, the, the figures speak for themselves. It's 40% usually of the entire world, you know, wind market. And, you know, they started off building these gigawatt wind bases. Then they went to 10 gigawatt bases. Now they're trying to build 100 gigawatt wind bases. And it's just rolled on and on. Last year, they did almost um, 17 gigawatts of offshore wind in a single year. And that gives them incredible scale. And there's an incredible clarity about where they're going. So they pre-approve projects on a kind of a five-year basis. Around, I think, late late last year, it was 450 gigawatts of wind and solar that they just pre-approved. So if you're a developer or someone with a project, you, you know it's going to happen. And that gives you the confidence then to build up your supply chain. And, um, and I just think, you know, I don't want to get into the politics of it. Having that predictability and having that massive scale in their supply chain is something that the rest of the world should have as well. Well, that brings me to the end of my questions. Um, ben Backwell, Chief Executive of GWEC, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you, Ian. That's a pleasure. Before I sign off, I want to highlight that our Blades Europe conference is returning to Hamburg later this month from the 25th to the 26th of October. This year, the conference will provide you with business critical insights on the latest technical innovations within blade operations and maintenance, as well as delving into the developments affecting the industry. Among the speakers for the event are Hans-Joseph Fell, President of Energy Watch Group, and Sabrina Malpedi, Managing Director of ACT Blade. To buy tickets or to take a closer look at the full lineup, visit the dedicated website, bladeseuropeforum.com. Thanks for listening to the Wind Power Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode to explore the issues which are driving the wind industry today. 